Romans 1 says that the gospel is the power of God. The gospel. Not gospel demonstrations, but the gospel itself is the power of God. The, the message of Christ is the power of God. So I want, you, I want you, as you are listening today, as you have your Bible open and as you're engaging um, with the Spirit in his truth, I want you to encounter God. God wants to grow you. He wants you to grow up. He wants you and I to mature and get older in the faith. He doesn't want us to be toddlers or, you know, or, or, you know, adolescent spiritually for our whole lives. He wants us, he wants us to grow up. Paul says in Colossians 1 that his aim, his purpose in ministry was to present everyone, all of the people that he had been given by God to minister to. He wanted to present all of them mature in Christ. He didn't just want them to just kind of just get in the kingdom or just get into heaven. Or just pray a prayer or something like that and just say, well, I know I'm going to heaven when I die. He wanted to mature, he wanted to see them matured in Christ. In Galatians 4, he says something similar where, where he says, I am like a woman in giving birth. I'm, I'm laboring until Christ is formed in you. Christ formed in us. So God wants you and I to grow. He wants us to be more like Jesus. That's his purpose for us in this life. Romans 8.29 says he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. So that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. So God predestined you and I believers to be conformed to the image of Christ. To be more and more, made more and more like Jesus. So that Jesus would be the firstborn among a whole family of God's children. We are saved by God's gracious work in Christ. We've sung about that. We are forgiven. Luke was throwing out the word justification. Massive truth. Justification means right now, through faith in Jesus, you are seen as righteous. Perfectly righteous. Not because you are righteous, but because the righteousness of Christ is counted as yours. So now and for the rest of your life, your righteousness before God, because it is Christ's, it doesn't increase or decrease, doesn't go up or down. It is perfect, and God views you that way through faith in Christ. You are forgiven, you are justified, and you are headed for heaven. Isn't that great? But the rest of this life on planet Earth is a path of growing and changing. That's the program God has us in. If you don't like to change, take it up with God. And if you continue to resist changing, then he will see to it that you change, or you're just not even a believer. Right? The path, the rest of this life, is the path of change. It's the path of transformation. Another big theological word, it's the path of sanctification, or just becoming more like Christ throughout the rest of our lives. So, the question that should occupy our minds a lot is, how do I grow in the power of the Spirit? How do I actually grow in the power of the Holy Spirit? If that is is the program God has me on, for I'm 39, closer to 40 than 39 now, but anyways. 
No, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm closer to 39 still. Okay, great. <laughs> Anyways. Um, for the rest of my life, if, if it's 40, 25, or 30, or 40, or 50 years, it's the path of sanctification. So, how do we grow in Christ? And here's the deal. As a Christian, as a believer in Christ, you want to grow. You want, you might find yourself in a rut. There might be times when you don't have this great desire to follow Jesus with all of your heart, but there's something deep down where you want to grow. You want to be more like Christ. That's why you're here. That's why you've trusted in Christ. When we consider this question of what does it look like or how do we grow in the power of the Spirit, there's a ditch on both sides of the road we can fall into. One ditch is kind of a moralistic self-effort ditch, and the other one is kind of a passive, inactive, laziness ditch. The moralistic self-effort ditch, this person says, I must pull myself up by the bootstraps. I must bring about change in myself. God has done his part. Now I must do the rest. And it's a ditch. It's a deep ditch. And if you're there, I want you, I want you to be pulled up today. The other ditch, though, the lazy, inactive, passive person says this, if God wants to change me, he will do it in his time. And I will just, maybe you've heard this before, this isn't a bad thing to say in every context, but in this context it is, I will just let go and let God. I will just let go and let God. So what's the remedy so we don't fall into either one of these ditches? Well, it's Philippians 2, 12 and 13. So, Here's what Philippians 2, 12, and 13 says. Then let's pray, and we'll jump right into it. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but also, or excuse me, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Father, we ask you to speak. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. God, take your truth and plant it deep into us today. Shape and fashion us in the likeness of your Son by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 shows us the kind of growth that is Christian growth. It's the kind of growth that comes from the power of the Spirit, where we grow in likeness to Jesus, and it is an inside-out reality. We work, we do work, but our work is dependent upon God's work. And not just mindlessly, but in faith, by faith in God's work. Charles Spurgeon said, The assistance of divine grace is not given to put aside our efforts, but to assist and empower them. So God gives us divine grace inside of us so that we can work out what he is working in. And it gets as practical as this. 
It gets as practical as this. We don't want to just be pie in the sky, all this, you know, this theory up here, but it gets as practical as this. God wants to empower you and work in you so that you work out considering others more significant than yourselves. It gets that practical, right? I chose that because that's just a few verses earlier from these two verses. And it gets as practical as this. God wants to work in you so that what is worked out is you doing all things without grumbling and complaining. All things. I heard someone say, uh-oh. And I chose that because it's the very next verse after these two verses. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. You know what the opposite of that is? Do everything with a heart of joyful gratitude to God. That's what he wants to work in you. The key to seeing the connection between our work and God's work is one word at the beginning of of verse 13. It's the word for. Let me read it again. Just starting in halfway through verse 12, it says this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For or because God is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Verse 12 is the command. It's the imperative. It is, we are being commanded to do something. Work out salvation and do it with fear and trembling. This is serious. This is not something, uh, it doesn't sound like Paul's very serious here. No, he's very serious. He gives a serious command, work out your own salvation and do it with fear and trembling. We don't want to soft pedal the command. We really do work. We really are to work at this. But it is all predicated on the reality that God is working in us. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because almighty God is at work in you. God is already doing. God is at work in you. So we see we work out salvation because God is at work in us. That's the point of this text. Here's the point of the text. I'll say it a little different way. We work out what the Holy Spirit works in. That's what these two verses say. That is what Christian growth is. We work out what the Holy Spirit works in. The Holy Spirit produces change. By his miraculous power, by his mighty power, and we act out what he produces in. The Holy Spirit in power manufactures miracles in us. And I don't use that word lightly. Miracles in us. And we walk them out. The Christian life is supernatural. Read, I think, read, read uh, last week from Galatians 3. And Paul says, having begun in the Spirit, the mighty Holy Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? Are you now making progress by mere human effort? The, the, the Christian life is miraculous. It is supernatural. It is a work of God from beginning to end. So, here's what I want to do. I want to I take a look at verse 13 first. Verse 13 is, God is at work in you. And then I want to look at verse 12, which is, you work out salvation with fear and trembling. And then, and then put them together and have some practical application. 
So verse 12 says this, God, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's just take this word or phrase at a time. But first, we need to understand who Paul is addressing. Paul is clearly addressing believers. He's not addressing everyone in general, but he's addressing Christians. He's addressing those who have believed in Christ. He's addressing those who have repented of their sins, put their trust only in Jesus and his blood and righteousness, and are saved and are new and are Christians. Is that you? Then he's talking to you. I love how Paul says it at the beginning of verse 12. He says, he addresses who he's talking to. He says, dear beloved or beloved. The Phillips translation, I love what it says. My dearest friends. Paul is, has an endearing relationship with these believers. He's addressing these believers that he loves so dearly. So he's addressing Christians. And he says, it is God who works in you. It is God at work in you. God is working. I want want you to just this to sink in. Almighty God is working in you. And you're not like this workshop. Like my grandpa had a workshop. You know, he'd go out and visit the workshop and do a little work, work on a project and then leave. You're not like a workshop where God comes and works a little bit here and there and then leaves and maybe comes back a couple days later and then leaves and then comes back a week later and then leaves. No, no, no. It's not like that because not only is God at work in you, but God has taken up residence in you. God lives in you. First Corinthians 3 says, don't you know? I love when Paul says that. And I think he says that because sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we forget. Don't you know that you are a temple of God and God's very spirit dwells in you? He works in you. He lives in you and he works in you. God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth by his spirit, the one who raises the dead, the one who raises up rulers and disposes of them whenever he pleases. The one who, in whom all of human history exists and the one who will bring human history to an end at exactly the time he appoints. He lives in you and he, and he works in you. <coughs> he lives in you and he works in you. Now it's amazing to think that he, God works in us. It is amazing. In almost every other human religion on the face of the earth, almost every other religion on the face of the earth, God is seeking employees. God is seeking people to work for him. Right? He's, he's enlisting people to do his work. He's enlisting people to do things that either he cannot do or that he, that he doesn't want to do. Only the Christian faith, only in the Christian faith is God working on behalf and for his people. The Christian faith said God ne- says God needs nothing from us. He doesn't need anything. You and I don't add anything to him whatsoever. He is full and overflowing. Think of Psalm 50. When God speaking to the psalmist says, if I was hungry, 
I wouldn't ask you for help. This is the whole world's mine. (laughs) Right? God doesn't need anything from us. Paul preaching in Acts chapter 17 says this, the God who made heaven and earth, he does not dwell in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything, since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. He needs nothing. He's full and overflowing. And he works on behalf of his people. He works on your behalf. He works in you. Isaiah 64, the prophet says, From of old no one has heard or perceived with the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you. Listen to this. Who works on behalf of those who wait for him. Stunning. It's amazing. God is not looking for you to add anything to him to do his labor for him because he needs your help. He is working for you. He is working in you. It's also important important to uh, point out that the verb works is in the continuous form, which communicates God is working in you and always working in you. God is working and always working. I think of Jesus who in his, was in a dispute with some of the uh, Jewish leaders. Remember he, it's in John chapter five, he had healed a man on the Sabbath and that was a no-no for the, the Pharisees. They said he couldn't do that. They didn't realize he was God. But anyways, they, they said, no, you can't do that, God. I mean, Jesus. Um, and Jesus spoke to them and he says, my father is always working. And I too am working. He's always working. God Almighty who dwells within you. He never takes a day off. He never needs a nap. He never needs to give you less attention because somebody else needs more attention. He is working, always working, every day working, every moment working in his people all the time. And he is not a handyman who gets frustrated with his work. He's not like, I am so sick and tired of working on you. When are you going to get your act together? I'm not a very good handyman. I'm sure that surprises a lot of you. Um, But, you know, when I'm working on a project that I think should take me an hour and like three hours into it, I am no closer to being done than when I started and maybe further from being done. I'm like, I am so sick of this garage or whatever it is I'm working on. God is not like that. God is working, always working, patiently working, lovingly working, graciously working, and he won't be done working until you and I are pristine, perfect. Jesus is coming back, not for a bride who looks like she just woke up, Sorry, women. And didn't get much sleep the night before up with babies or something, right? He is coming back for a bride who is spotless and without wrinkle and perfect. God Almighty dwells in you and works in you, always works in you. Look at what he's doing. Almighty God, the Holy Spirit works in you, Paul says, the next phrase is to will. 
to will. Have you ever heard someone say, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman and he will never circumvent your will? Something like that. I hope I don't step on any toes here. I'm, I'm so glad that's not true. If it was, I would still be dead in my sins. The Holy Spirit did not come and ask me if he could raise me from the dead. If he had waited for an answer, all he would have gotten was silence. Now, it's true that the Holy Spirit does not drag us and make us do things we don't want to do. He does something better. He changes our hearts so that we want to. That's what he does. We've all experienced that. Someone that was hard to get along with and love and, 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 and then somehow a week or a month or a year later, all of a sudden we have such warm feelings toward that person. What is that? Well, the Holy Spirit didn't drag you and make you love them. You're like, I will not love them. I will not love them. He's like, yes, you will. No, he changes our hearts and makes us willing. God, the Holy Spirit is, Almighty God is at work in you to will, to change your desires, to change my desires, to change the things that we want, to change our delights, to change the things that we value and treasure. That is what he's doing in us. He changes us. He changes us from the inside out. He works in us to will or or to make us willing. But there's more. He not only works in you to will, but he also is at work in you to work. He is at work in you to work. To make you willing and to make you a worker. To give you power. He is at work in you, giving you divine energy. The word work is the Greek word energeho. It's where we get the word energy. God Almighty is at work in you to will, to change your desires, and to give you divine energy to do what he calls you to do. God produces not only new desires, but strength and power to live out what he works in us. God, the Holy Spirit, is working in us new desires and mighty energy. Now, we just need to stop here for a moment. Last night I was, I was thinking about this. And it just, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. This is explosive truth. This is amazing, earth-shattering truth. If you actually believe this, and I believe this, I'm not just pointing to you. If we believe this, there is explosive changes happening in our life to God's glory. Right? We are becoming more like Christ. I'm not saying we're taking giant steps every day, but there is progressive, continual trajectory of upward and inward. Right? We're moving up, we're going in. Going into God closer and moving up toward him higher to the upward call of God in Christ. If we believe this, that God Almighty, the one who made everything, you know, the one that like said, let there be light, like spoke into nothing and nothing obeyed him. 
if we believe he's at work in us, making us willing and giving us divine power, explosive changes. There's, th- there's times it'll be really hard. Let's believe it. Let's believe it. Let's believe it today. Let's believe it right now. Let's not go home and say, I'll think about it a little bit. Maybe I'll, I'll go home and think about that a bit. Maybe I'll, I'll believe that later. No, let's just do it right now. Let's just do it right now. Now notice uh, the next phrase, the reason why God is working in his people. It is ultimately, I mean, it just gets better. It's ultimately for his good pleasure. It is for his delight. Here's the, it's such a good deal. I mean, God works in us, changing our desires, giving us power so that we live out what pleases him. Every son of God and daughter of God wants to please their father. (laughs) Everyone does. So he works in us, making us willing, giving us power so that what we do, he's like, I love that. Way to go, Josh. That's a good deal. The question is, how does the Holy Spirit do this? Does he slip something into our coffee in the morning? I mean, sometimes, let's face it, sometimes it is, it is easier to be, do all things without grumbling and complaining after a cup of coffee, and maybe two. But Holy Spirit is not slipping something in our coffee. He's not sprinkling some magical dust on us while we're sleeping. Here's what he does. Well, maybe I should, maybe I should put it this way. What is the main purpose for which the Holy Spirit's come? What's the main reason he's come? The, the Last Supper discourse, when Jesus was with his disciples, and he, we, we have these amazing chapters in John, John 13 to 17. And 14 to 16, he's just having this conversation with them, or he's doing all the talking, most of it. And he tells us the main reason the Holy Spirit's come. He says in John 15, 26, when the Helper comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He, listen to this, He will bear witness of me. Jesus says the Holy Spirit's going to bear witness of me. Later in John 16, verses 14 and 15, Jesus says this, He, speaking of the Spirit, will glorify me. For He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said, that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit wants to drive you and I to Christ. He wants to glorify Christ. He wants our eyes to be open to see Christ. He wants wants to bear witness of Jesus. His agenda is to bear witness and glorify Jesus Christ. That's what he wants to do. He wants you to be so in love with the Savior. I mean, the Holy Spirit is not like, he's not, he's not having a pity party in the corner because Jesus is getting all the attention or a lot of the attention. That's why he's come, to glorify Christ. So I want you to notice something. In, in, at the beginning of verse 12, there's this word, therefore. Therefore. Now, whenever you see in the Bible the word therefore, we should ask the question, what is it therefore? And the word therefore always points us to what was just said. 
It's always pointing back to the words and the verses that just precede it. And it points back, in this case, to verses 5 through 11. Well, really, verses 1 through 11. But we're going we're gonna to look at verses 5 through 11. Because verses 5 through 11 is, a, is, is a six verses which many scholars consider to be one of the early hymns of the New Testament church. And it has a massively glorious Christology. What I mean by that is just Christ-centered theology. It is amazing. It's one of the most Christ-centered passages in all the Bible. So let me just read verses 5 through 11 to you. And let's just see what the Holy Spirit, how he wants to drive us to Jesus here. Starting in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, But he emptied himself, Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every other name so that At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Holy Spirit wants to take the truth of Christ expounded in these these verses and drive it deep into our hearts. The truth of God's, the truth of Christ's Deity, the truth of his incarnation. This is all in these six verses. He is God. He was incarnate. He lived a perfect life. He died an atoning death. He rose victoriously. He is ascended on high and he's coming again. It's all right here. And the Holy Spirit wants to take the truth of Christ, drive it deep into our hearts so that the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ begins to reshape and reform our hearts. I was just talking to someone just this last week, someone who who admitted they struggle with pride, and I'm like, me too. I took him to this passage because I know the Holy Spirit wants us to see the humility of Christ, right? And becoming man, dying a sinner's death for us. To bring us to our knees and form humility in our hearts. The Holy Spirit wants to present Christ and and his magnificent work on your behalf. So your desires are changed organically and you discover fresh power to live the new life. You see, God's grace is more than just pardon for sins. It is that, praise God. It is more than just that. It is the very fuel you and I need to live a new life in the power of the Holy Spirit from the inside out. So verse 13 says, Almighty God works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. So verse 12, 
Because that's true. Because that's true. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out. Work. Just as God continually works in, you and I are to continually, strenuously work out what he works in. Just as God works, we are to work. Because God works, we are to work. And it is work. It does take effort. Grace-based effort, no doubt. But it is effort. It is a work of faith. Trusting God's work. Paul expresses this dynamic in two other places. I find it very helpful. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, here's what, listen to what Paul says. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me is not in vain. It says, on the contrary, I worked harder than all of them. I worked hard. Yet, it was not I but the grace of God with me. And then in Colossians 1, verse 29, Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy, that he mightily works within me. Paul toiled, which means worked, and he struggled. But it was with God's mighty energy. It is that work of faith. Trusting in the power of the Spirit working in us and working out. So, we work out in faith and we do it with fear and trembling. Paul's choice of words here, I think, is very interesting. But I think it gets to the heart of this command. Why does it not say, work out your own salvation with ease and unconcern? Like, like sitting in a lazy boy. I'm just going to work it out. Just kind of think lofty thoughts. And he says, no, with fear and trembling. Why fear and trembling? Well, the reason he gives is not a threat. It's a promise, right? He doesn't say work out your salvation with fear and trembling because if you don't, God is going to squash you. He says work out your salvation with fear and trembling because God your Father, by His Spirit, is working in you. It gives us a promise. Well, Philip's translation, I found, I thought was good on this. It said this, work out the salvation God has given you with a proper sense of awe and responsibility. A proper sense of awe. And responsibility. I think that hits the right note. I I think. Awe at the, the thought and the truth that I am a dwelling place for God. God's very spirit lives in me. That ought to move us to worship and awe this God who is, who is big and the heavens can't contain him. And yet he has decided to take up residence in me, a massively imperfect person. And responsibility because of how we should now live. Paul says in Ephesians 4 and elsewhere, something almost the exact same. He says, live a life worthy of the calling you've received in Christ. There's a sense of responsibility 
J.C. Ryle. He was a 19th century Anglican bishop um, in Liverpool, Great Britain. He said this, If there is anything which a man ought to do thoroughly, authentically, truly, honestly, and with all of his heart, it is the business of his soul. You think about that. You think of what you put into your work, your kids, your hobby, perhaps. Your soul, working out your salvation with fear and trembling, deserves greater attention, greater seriousness than those things. He goes on to say, if there is any work which he ought never to slight and do in a careless fashion. It is the great work of working out his own salvation. Then he addresses, he says, believer in Christ, remember this, whatever you do in religion, don't get hung up by religion. He just means in faith, in the Christian faith. Whatever you do, do it well. Be authentic, be thorough, be honest, be true. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. God works and you work. You work because God is working. God's work is decisive. Our work is dependent. Do you see that? Do you see that in these verses? Jonathan Edwards, um, he was a minister in the 1700s here in, the, here in America in the Northeast. Commenting on these verses, I, I love the way he put these things together. Let me read what he says. He says, in efficacious grace or in God's effective grace, we are not merely passive, nor yet does God do some and we do the rest. He says, but God does all and we do all. God produces all and we act all. For that is what he produces. That is our own acts. God is the only proper author and fountain. We only are the proper actors. God is the one producing all. And then we act out all that he produces in us. God produces miracles in us and we, empowered by his spirit, act the miracle. God, the Holy Spirit, drives the grace of God through Christ deeper and deeper into our hearts, willing and working in us things like humility and joyful gratitude and love and joy, and forgiveness, and patience, and kindness. All of these things. He works these things in us, and we act these things out. I tell you, God producing true humility in an arrogant, proud man is a miracle. It's a miracle akin to Jesus opening blind eyes. And God making a angry, embittered, complaining woman, a woman over, overflowing in joyful gratitude is a miracle. 
And it is akin to him raising a lame person to walk. Corrie Ten Boom and her family helped to hide Jews in Nazi-occupied Holland during World War II. They were caught in the process of helping Jews and, the, and they were put in a concentration camp where Corey's sister, Betsy, died. After the war, Corey Ten Boom went through Europe, even Germany, speaking about the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. I want to read just a portion of a pretty significant story of God working out, or I should say of her working out what God had worked in. Listen to this. It was 1947. This is Corey Ten Boom. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeat Germany, or to defeated Germany with a message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed to hear most in that bitter, bombed out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind. I liked to think that, that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There, was never question, there were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence. They collected their things in silence, and they left the room in silence. And that's when I saw him. Working his way forward against the others. One moment, I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights. The pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor. The shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me. Ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. How thin Betsy was. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. Fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he, one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him. And the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors. And my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there 
I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and I could not. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel. Excuse me, I got ahead of myself. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking? It could not have been many, more than many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. For I knew I had to forgive him. I knew that. She said, it wasn't an option. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the rest. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all of my heart. I love that story. I mean, the the inner deliberation. That's about as real as it gets, isn't it? Now, we have not faced something like that. I don't think anyone here has. But we face varying degrees of challenges and difficulties and things we face where God wants to grow us through it. She knew unforgiveness wasn't an option. She cried to Jesus for help. She said, I can lift my hand. I can do that. You do the rest. She thrust her hand out. God was at work in her to will and to work. She acted the miracle that God produced in her. She acted. God produced a miracle. She acted. Here's the deal. The same God by his spirit, is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's pray.